Axiopod, a weekly podcast brought to you by Axiometrics Incorporated, the U.S. leader in apartment market research. Expect excellent commentary and informative interviews on the rapidly changing U.S. apartment market. Hello, welcome to Axiopod. I'm Dave Sorter. In the news today are investing and the Houston economy. An expert about both is with us today. Allison Malkassian, principal of Alara Ventures, has been in the multifamily investing industry for 25 years and uh, has created quite a concern uh, with Alara Ventures, which started in 2013. Allison, uh, welcome to Axiopod. Thank you. It's uh, thrilled to be here and, and appreciate you uh, inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, tell me a little bit about Alara Ventures and your investment approach. You know, it's been interesting. After a lot of years of uh, what I think has been making uh, a lot of people money, I finally decided that I'd, I'd go out on my own after lots of encouragement from people over the years. And, um, and so I took the big leap in the end of 2013, and I started Alara Ventures. And what I really realized is that what I like to do is invest in high-risk-adjusted return opportunities. Mm-hmm. Clearly, with my background, it's all specifically multifamily. So Alara is a privately held investment firm, and we specialize in opportunities that create, uh, well, that provide capital preservation, which is really my number one focus. I'm, I'm incredibly risk, uh, risk-averse. But in the end of the day, I don't like the returns that go with low risk. So what I look for are opportunities that provide the opportunity for much higher returns than what the risk is that we're taking on in a sort of base case analysis, if you will. Mm -hmm. And by conservative, I'm mostly referring to um, low leverage to date our portfolio, which is about 150 million, and we have 1,200 units, all of which are here in Houston. Uh-huh. Um, those assets are all about 60% leveraged, and uh, all provide some form of what we believe is significant upside at the exit. They're longer-term holds at this point in time because we think that's the right thing. Um, and as we look forward, our 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 approach is really to invest where we think there are disconnects between the real estate market and the capital market. So we'll play in equity, we'll play in debt, we'll play in hybrid uh, investments of med debt equity or um, possibly down the road joint venture work. Well, that's a delicate balancing act, trying to find lower risk but uh, very high return on them. So you seem to be doing that very well. Well, we, we uh, are really pleased with where we are right now. It's been, you know, we've, we've taken a very slow and measured approach to it um, because of exactly what you said. It, it's really hard to find those opportunities. But if you focus, what we found is that, or I've really found over the years, um, because this is a approach that I've always believed in, and, and a lot of ventures has really provided the platform for me to, um, to do this. Uh, what I'm finding is that to the extent that we can be very analytical in our approach to where the real estate market is going and pay a lot of attention to where capital is needed, but that it's not available, we can find those types of opportunities with a, uh, a fairly high um, a fairly high execution probability, I guess, if you will, or a high high opportunity for for those risk adjusted returns, and we really do take on incredibly low risk 
uh, in exchange for the potential of that high high um, high return. Well, speaking of risk. Um we at Axiometrics are finding that the Houston apartment market uh, is not performing wonderfully at this point. Um, what can you tell me about the Houston economy as you see as you've seen it uh, since since oil prices took their big fall and uh, and layoffs and all that in the oil industry? Even though Houston's economy is a lot more diversified than it used to be. Right. And and I think that that's really um, the story in a lot of cases. And honestly, the conclusion that we've come to and, and a lot of how we get there is using your base data, honestly. And then we put really our own look at it, which is we take it a whole bunch of different directions. We slice it and dice it um, and figure out sort of where we think these disconnects are going to happen on the product side, on the real estate side, the, the way of sort of ascertaining what's happening on the capital side is a little bit trickier, I think, and less um, less quantitative, mm-hmm. a little bit more qualitative. But <clears throat> what we've done is in, in looking at um, the economy here, I really do think it's, um, it's not unlike that was a sort of famous phrase of the reports of mind demise are, are extremely... Uh, overstated, or, or I can't remember the exact words to it, but I think that that's really something that we're seeing here. And I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure I want to see that as an investor, but I really think it's just not as bad as people think it is. And, and we're seeing that at kind of two levels. Um, it actually boils down to one thing for us, which is job growth. Right. And while everyone freaked out, if you will, about what's happened with oil dust, um, it's really interesting to look at this because in 2016, Net, and I think you all would concur with this, created 15,000 jobs right. at a time when all anybody heard about were, were cuts and deep, deep cuts in the oil and gas mm-hmm. um, industry and, and related industries, in particular manufacturing associated with it. Mm-hmm. And that loss of roughly 50,000 jobs was offset by a roughly 65,000 jobs that were created in the healthcare, the hospitality, and the construction business. And so at the end of the day, what should have been a really, really bad year mm-hmm. from a multifamily demand standpoint, we think is better than what the general consensus is or the, the thought process is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, healthcare is a huge component now of our economy, mm-hmm. and uh, we actually, the last acquisition we made was in the Med Center for exactly this reason, which was a um, somewhat of a defensive mm-hmm. maneuver uh, in light of our other two assets, which are actually not very exposed to the oil and gas business, but we felt as though it was important to make that um, defensive play um, in an asset that is in a a plus plus location and has the you know potential for tremendous land value appreciation and that's one of the things we've really looked for in this last cycle. Um, so the moral of the story is I'm not sure it's as bad, at least right now, as um, as everyone tends to believe or it appears from the outside. Mm-hmm. Now what happened in you know in 16, 17, and 18 remains to be seen, and I think if we continue to have a you know, a, a lot of stress in the oil and gas business, 
you know, the, for sure the construction industry is going to contract some, uh, right. and particularly as multifamily uh, new development uh, trails off, which I think we probably all agree will have to happen. Oh, yeah. Because equity, equity and debt have moved out of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and hospitality might get hit some, too. Healthcare is not going anywhere. It's not doing anything but growing. So I think the outlook, uh, personally, for Houston is really still pretty rosy. Um, and, uh, and, you know, certainly a month trend doesn't make a year, but I believe we added 10,000 jobs uh, in this first portion of the year. And, uh-huh. and that's a good indicator, I think, that it may be a much better year um, because of our diversification than, than one might think. Well, that's good news. Of course, you do know, Allison, that uh, doom and gloom makes great headlines. So, you know. Yes, it does. <laughs> it makes great investing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, At least when you do it like we do it. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I, I mean, we agree with you at Axiometrics that job growth is going to be tremendous uh, a tremendous indicator of what's going to happen in the multifamily market. Uh, one of our economists, Casey Sanjay, a while back did a uh, did a blog for our Forbes on our Forbes blog piece about Houston and how and he gave three scenarios: um, a base case, a best case, and a worst case, and just from where oil prices are going now, it's looking like it's going somewhere between the base case and the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things may be looking up, not this year, maybe not so much next year, but in 2018, 2019, uh, we could be seeing a robust market again. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, you know, I think it's obviously it's really good to depend on job growth, and, and obviously we're a big, big believer in that, too. I think the old, um, you know, back a uh, few decades ago, everyone looked at household formation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that's quite as impactful um, uh, for multifamily, at least in the urban area. I think maybe it becomes a lot more important as we look at suburbs. But... Um, you know, I think that what we've been seeing, I think what's really, really interesting is that at least on our portfolio, which is a, generally speaking a B or C asset class mm-hmm. in A++ plus plus locations, um, we are only in this last probably six months really started to see some flattening. Um, and honestly, that's occurred at our Value Park asset here on Memorial Drive at Shepherd. And that is partly um, we're having a hard time parsing exactly how much of that is related to the market changes and how much is being impacted by two really major physical asset um, challenges we've had there. And one was the floods, uh, the Memorial Day floods. We had about 30 units that were down. We brought those back online, and we subsequently had, largely because of the soil saturation in May as well as in October with the Halloween flood. I love mm-hmm. how these things keep hitting on, on holidays. Um, we've had a lot of sort of background vacancy. When we pulled those units out of our pricing model, so we think we've got a pretty good indication, which is we're still able to run on those non-down units um, a solid 95% to 96% occupancy. Of course, we tweaked the revenue model to do that. Mm-hmm. But on renewals, we're still getting, I think this last month, we got $65 a unit on renewal. Now, Very new nice. leases have now flattened. And our same store on um, uh, our, our same store for new leases has 
definitely flattened, and we've seen some uh, erosion there. Not tremendous, but some erosion. So I actually look at it as though we've come off of two years of, actually three years of unbelievable rent growth at all, at, at our two assets um, that we acquired prior to this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we did one at the beginning of 14, um, uh, one at the end of 14, and then our third one was mid-15. Um, and so we don't have quite as much track record on that one as we I would like to make general statements about it, other than the fact that it's in the med center and there's not a soul there that works in the oil and gas business. Mm-hmm. But the moral of the story, I guess, is we are really believed that we are just now seeing true equilibrium, right, where you have very little rent growth, mm-hmm. if any, um, at this point in the cycle. Right. And that would be a little bit different, too. And, again, that's based on our view of our portfolio, but we're adding to that what we see, we see in your data as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious if Sanjay would concur with that. But we think we really have been at equilibrium over the course of the last 12 months, at least in our product type. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so because of that, I'm looking at the pipeline, and it doesn't scare me as much as it did maybe 12 months to 16 months ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe 12 months um, uh to um, yeah, to, to 18 months ago. Right. And that said, then what we're really looking at is we believe that, you know, we're looking at, say, roughly 27,000 units, I think, being delivered at the estimate between now and the end of 18. I think we that's right, yeah. Now and then. And I'm not sure that that, that um, unrealistic in light of the diversified economy that we have right now. And I don't know. I mean, time's going to tell. But I think it's, again, I, I think it's maybe a bit more positive than than what is perceived to be the situation. And I, I might be missing a lot, but I think it's better. And, and again, I'm going to caveat, or, or I mean, my caveat to all of that is it doesn't help me for the business to be, for, for the market to stabilize faster, <laughs> right? It's true that they high-risk adjusted return investor. I want a lot of blood in the street right. that I know cover relatively quickly. So this is not a, you know, this honestly isn't what I'd love to see. But it's a good thing for Houston, and it's a good thing for, for everybody as owners and investors. Yeah. Um, you were talking a little bit about the composition of the new construction. I mean, you know, how much do holders such as the REITs, uh, the REITs, um, have and how much are is merchant built what what's your opinion on that well you know i had hoped <laughs> when we dug in there to that to see that it was a lot higher than it is um and it i don't think it is i'm, I'm not sure that it's dramatically it, it may actually be less because i think we have fewer players in the business than we had in the last cycle mm-hmm. you know eqr moved out of the market um post i think has while they're active, has reduced their participation. Camden's still obviously very strong um, in terms of the amount of uh, the activity that's here, but they're really smart guys, and they've, you know, they've pulled back as well. So in looking at the numbers uh, or the, the players in the market today, um, clearly inside the loop we still have some you know, sophisticated and long-term holders that I think are going to help keep the market 
uh, maybe a little bit stronger rather than going to deep, deep concessions like a merchant builder will. But out in the suburbs, I think it's unfortunately um, for people who have invested out there, I think the bulk of what we see is merchant builders. And, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, that's not going to be pretty if you own assets out there. From our perspective, we may be, it, it may create an opportunity, Dave, where we shift our focus from infill, long-term um, land plays, covered land plays, which is where we've seen the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, to possibly shorter-term holds out in the sub-market where we think by providing that equity maybe for developers to ride out the storm um, and go to permanent financing, we might be able to provide um, gap equity slash debt um, mezzanine that allows them to take out their equity partners and ride the storm until they can realize what really is honestly their profit for the risk that they've taken. But we we may see that on a max or excuse me a micro basis that that is an opportunity out there uh, in part because of a volume, um, b the loss in jobs in those concentrated locations, um, and c the fact that inside the loop while there's a boatload of product. Um, some of it is controlled by more institutional developers who are long-term holders. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of asset management strategies are you using, and what do you anticipate with them? You know, um, I think that it, it varies right now between the three assets that we have because they're in three very distinct locations. Uh, one, as I mentioned, is the med center uh, on the rail line uh, within walking or biking distance of the hospitals. Um, the other one is very different in that it's an older trans or older property in Spring Branch mm-hmm. in a highly gentrifying location, um, mm-hmm. but it is uh, it, it is by virtue of the school district out there relatively insulated from the oil and gas business. And then the third one is is our Bayou Park asset, which is you mm-hmm. know. Um, dead center where you want to be right. on the park uh, and it is a terrific piece of land at 16 acres and, and that's a that's going to be fun to see where that goes over time yeah but um but um from an asset management standpoint there's really three different plays and, and i'm a believer as a lot of people are that it's all about having the right product in the right location for the people who live in those locations so we're always trying to, to link those three things up when we make an investment. And, and probably Spring Branch is a great example of it because it's 100% townhome. It's across the street from the park. It's in the best public school system in uh, or district in the city. And it's a mile away from um, uh, Memorial City, which has jumped the I-10 freeway, which is a huge move. Um, for folks north of I-10, which has really been um, a less than desirable location and has really struggled over the years. So that's a property where we have, you know, single moms with kids, want their kids in care enough to be in really great school district. We have two income, um, hardworking, you know, parents who in many cases switch hours. You know, one works in the day, one works at night to support their family. But, again, they're super conscientious because they want to be in that location. Um, we've got the park, we've got the townhomes, and generally speaking, it's the perfect product for that location. Mm-hmm. In that 
in that property, we have had to do very little defensive investment management or asset management. Um, it's really been about uh, repositioning the property. We did a $10,000 unit rehab on it over last year and moving rents. And we have had unbelievable rent growth and still continue to have it in that asset um, with super strong occupancy. On the other hand, Bayou Park is more susceptible to oil and gas and clearly much more susceptible to what happened um, in the sort of trickle-down effect, if you will, mm-hmm. of the Class A new construction, getting concessions, pushing down on the B stuff built in 2000, 2010, and uh, that has been the A product up until the last few years, and then how much that pushes down on us as a value-oriented, affordable option inside this location. Now, in that one, we've taken the approach of saying we're going to, about 12 months ago, we we saw this starting to happen, and we started signing 15-month leases. We started signing long-term leases in an uh, effort to lock in. Uh, what we viewed as rents that were going, you know, were not going to keep coming to us. So that's one of the things we've done. And the other thing we've really focused on there is providing a outstanding resident experience because the property is older and it doesn't warrant a, a um, renovation to the interior of the unit. Uh, it closes the gap. Uh, by doing that, it, we're adding $200, $250 a unit, which we were able to get when we acquired it. Um, but my big concern was that as the class B assets get pushed down, our gap between us and them would erode. And if we added $250 premiums to what we have, mm-hmm. we'd get there a whole lot faster. And mm-hmm. that we wouldn't be able to continue to maintain that upgrade. So we opted to not do interior upgrades, rather spend the capital on the common areas, which included a 7,000-square-foot fitness center and a Olympic-sized mm-hmm. pool and Two other pools. We put in a dog park. Um, we added concierge service. So we really focused there on service. Um, it, the the property in the med center, we have focused on being more competitive in our one bedroom, one bath unit because what little new construction is going in. And I think this is interesting, by the way, in terms of the macro look at the market. Most of the new construction, we all know, was centered around millennials and have a really high percentage of one bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, because it's a 1990 product deal, we have a much higher uh, number of two bedrooms. And so we're, we're, to a certain extent, with our twos, we're at an incredibly um, strong pricing advantage. Until the new stuff, which is 80 to 90% one, mm-hmm. until that gets absorbed, um, we're, your pricing power is a little bit softer on the ones. But again... That asset, we're getting $150 unit increases on, on renewals, and we're moving rent uh, really nicely. Uh, obviously, the two-bedrooms are a real premium right now. So we're focused on pushing pricing on those, being more competitive, and, again, focused on service uh, because these are folks who work long, long hours uh, mm-hmm. and often don't have time to shop, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't have time to do a lot of things that, that you know, that need to happen in your life that just add extra stress that your time's limited and you're exhausted. So our, you know, long, long answer, but to us the key is to really be aware of who you are in your sub-market, who your residents are, and then tailor yourself around that. 
and particularly when times get tough. All this about Houston and the apartment industry and your holdings is fascinating. But I have another question for you. You and your husband have a race team also called Alara. Tell me how you're doing in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, you know, the name Alara started out uh, or was originated from um, the racing business, which was the first sort of self-employment component <laughs> of our, our lives. And a friend of ours came up with that as Allison and Ara, and it, it stuck. And... Um, you know, subsequently, we obviously, there's a player out there that names her property Delara, um, so not to be confused, but um, it has kept us from, you know, from naming our property Delara whatever. Uh, so, yeah, the racing business, interestingly, and then here's probably another great indicator of where Houston really is at. We actually have two businesses. One is the racing business, which is a, um, a pro series. We, we run in a pro series that Monta sponsors. Um, across the country, all the major racetracks, it's a road racing um, series. And uh, we run MX-5s, which are the old, the new version of the Mazda Miata, mm-hmm. fully race prepped. Um, Mazda introduced a new car this past year, and the cars that we've been running since 2006 are now um, no longer being raced. Mm-hmm. And this year, people had to cough up for a brand new car. And I would have expected that we'd have seen fewer people do that. And we've had actually the opposite happen. We, we, our, our customer base has expanded. We run 10 cars at every race. Oh, wow. Versus with the old car, you know, a decent race turnout for our own team with six cars. So that's to me, was, is somewhat indicative because a lot of our customers are based in Houston. Um, then the other piece of that that's probably even a better indicator is we have a business called Alara Garage, and it is um, it is a facility that's five businesses basically in one, and, and we own the, the umbrella entity. And it started as a place for people to store cars um, where they have more toys and they have room. And it's climate controlled and high security, et cetera, et cetera. But we are busting at the seams. We are growing faster than we've ever grown. And that is clearly a Houston-based business, right? These are folks in Houston that want to leave their car, be able to call, say, hey, I want my car, you know, at 2 o'clock. Can I come switch it out? And these are, you know, the place you open it up and it's full of nothing but exotic cars. And and that is not stopping, which is a great indicator to me, you know, of what continues to happen in this economy and the resiliency of it. Very good. Well, Allison... Malkasian, principal of Alara Ventures. Um, thank you so much for being on Axiopod today. Really appreciate the insight. Absolutely, and I appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, it's great, great data, and we use it all the time. And um, appreciate you all thinking of me and, uh, and having me on. All right. Well, that's the checkered flag for this episode of Axiopod. <laughs> um, I'm Dave Sorter. Have an Axio day. Thank you for listening to Axiopod from Axiometrics.